Kia and good day, everyone. Welcome to Markham's latest podcast episode. Obviously, we're very excited and we've still got our training wheels bolted on. I'm Nikki Horn, Markham's project manager for New Zealand, and it's great to have you listening today. This is the second topic of our series, Invisible Strength. We're keen to get into the science and practical challenges of adding life to concrete from day one. With me as we walk through this topic is Wade Lennon, project consultant in our Sydney office. Wade, give a shout out to our audience. Hey, hey, audience. Uh, thanks, Nikki. And yes, I'm excited about joining our new podcast series as well. Uh, it's going to be practical stuff, learn through real experience, not just hypotheticals. Uh, of course, we do. We will dive a little into the science, although mostly keeping it really simple. Uh, we're hoping to include uh, relevant industry experts in future segments. Um, but as Nikki says, it's just training wheels today. That's great, Wade. Thank you. And also with us is Doug Hamlin, our Research and Development Manager. Um, let the audience hear you, Doug. Thanks, Nikki. Yep. No, I'm keen to help the series along with some practical insights. Awesome. Awesome. So Wade, where exactly is today's topic coming from? We're talking about adding life to concrete from day one. Can you give us some context? Yeah, thanks, Nikki. Well, we're looking at a new structure. And when we're talking about adding life to it, we're really thinking about how long that structure is intended to last. Uh, like what's its planned service life? So in the context of concrete, there's two sides of the coin. Firstly, how do we guarantee that surface life will be achieved? Now, that doesn't mean achieved with the help of expensive repair work later on in its life. And, of course, there's a lot of research sunk into ensuring the concrete will endure uh, the planned service life. But there are on-the-ground reasons why this doesn't always happen. The second aspect is, what if the structure is still in use beyond its planned service life? And let's face it, suppose you have a structure with a 50-year service life and it's in active use when that 50-year mark hits there's not much motivation to demolish it. Now, of course, we're not thinking about that when we're building the new structure, but it's these type of situations that Markham's experience in the concrete life has developed. So the context comes from looking at structures later in their service life and implying these lessons from their deterioration into new structures, how to maximise the concrete's durability from day one. Let's talk about durability a bit more. I was waiting for you to use that word. Uh, it seems like plain logic. If the concrete is more durable, it will last longer. But concrete is naturally durable, isn't it? And very qualified people spend a lot of time designing concrete mixes for increased durability. Is there something we're missing here? <laughs> well, that's the multi-million dollar question, isn't it? And, and you're right, there's a good deal of industry headspace spent on the topic. And we don't want to sound like we're rubbishing those efforts either. But for all the background mixed design and even the best efforts at placement time on site, we're still seeing premature deterioration. That is structures needing significant repair to achieve their original planned service life. There's a number of reasons why this happened. You have to understand the deterioration cycle. Uh, Doug, can you give it our listeners a quick outline on how this works? Yeah, sure thing. So in short, the deterioration cycle happens by um, contaminants um, and reactive chemicals um, traveling into the concrete um, using micro cracks. Um, and these are carried by moisture. So these contaminants cause a steel reinforcing to corrode, or they might um, accelerate ASR or other 
expansive concrete reactions. I mean, this, this cracking becomes more severe. So this means, you know, that more, con more contaminants, more moisture get into the concrete and it keeps on getting worse um, exponentially. So it's not a, a linear, gradual uh, matter. So often the first anyone realizes is that the concrete, when the, that the concrete's deteriorating is when they have corrosion stains seeping out of the concrete or they start to see large cracks developing for no apparent reason. You know, it catches everyone a little bit by surprise. Yeah, that's a really good little summary, Doug. I, I want to pick up on that expression you used, micro cracks. Those fine cracks often develop at the curing stage and are often ignored, but they can spell early aging for the concrete. High quality curing, high quality hydration. It's incredibly important for long-term durability. And the curing quality uh, remains challenging to control on site. So that's reason number one. Uh, for unexpected premature aging, of course. Secondly, this is the missing piece to the puzzle. Bleed water evaporation leaves micropores in the concrete. As the water leaves the concrete, it escapes. These pores are even less likely to be noticed than the micro cracking. And they occur despite the best efforts of MIC designers to reduce impermeability of the concrete. Oh, another key word, impermeability. When the concrete is more permeable, it will let in more of those contaminants, right? So the more impermeable the concrete is, the longer it will last. Yeah, well, in the field, this is often camouflaged as the concrete strength rating. Uh, people commonly think about durability being linked to the strength. The higher the MPAE rating, typically higher the Portland cement content in the mix, and sometimes fly ash and other fines are used to help uh, close up the potential por porosities in the concrete. So a stronger concrete is usually less permeable concrete and lasts longer. But people don't always realise that this is because the contaminants are being kept out. But as we said, that bleed water porosity will still occur to some extent, particularly if the mix design has a high water content. When it's a high cement mix, the placement team may be tempted to add a bit of extra water to make the mix flow a bit easier. But this leads to more bleed water porosities after curing, and it takes away from the intended durability of that high strength concrete. So there's reason number two. Two reasons why contamination can enter the concrete from day one, micro cracking and bleed water porosity. Once the contamination is inside the concrete, carried in by moisture or moisture vapor, and moving around inside the concrete carried by moisture, then that cycle of deterioration we talked about is inevitable. Okay. Can you give the listeners and I an example of what you mean when you say contaminants? Uh, in this contents, contaminants include any chemical which will react with the concrete. Uh, chlorides are a particular example. Uh, chlorides are found in seawater and therefore affecting a lot of marine structures. It's very common to see rust stains coming out of marine structures because the chlorides have soaked into the concrete and reached the steel reinforcing, triggering corrosion. Then you get carbon dioxide, for example, from exhaust fumes, which may affect concrete car parks, uh, causing contamination and it causes a lot of dusting issues. There's other reactions that could cause expansive damage inside the concrete, forcing cracking from the inside out. And as Doug explained, the little cracks become big ones and the damage is exponential and potentially very expensive. Very expensive and very scary. 
So you're saying premature concrete failure is often built in from day one. So what's the answer to that? How do we stop that? Uh, you stop the water moving through concrete. Is that all? Yeah, it sounds too simple, doesn't it? We've, we've real already discussed that the contaminants are carried by moisture, carried in and carried around within the concrete. So here it is. We've got unwanted and unexpected porosity in micro cracks. That's what we need to fix or even better, prevent it from day one. Awesome summary. So let's ask Doug Hamlin, another expert, our research and development coordinator, to turn this around for us. Doug, what's the secret? How can we close up those fine cracks, those invisible pores, that's P-O-R-E-S, in the concrete so moisture can't get in or move around? Yeah, sure. So I'm just going to give this in general terms. We won't mention um, product brands here gets a bit salesy um, but the secret is hydrogel treatment so what we're talking about here um, listen carefully this is the application of catalytic silica nanoparticles um, that induce the formation of our CSH hydrogel within the concrete and uh, that's CSH that's calcium silica hydrate um, that's the same molecular formation that the concrete itself is made up from so that cement paste that binds everything together now, the hydrogel picks up the moisture that causes the trouble, you know, that's moving through the concrete um, and immobilizes it. And the new moisture from the outside of the concrete can't get in. And, you know, reactions are arrested and prevented due to the lack of that, those active ingredients or the lack of those um, factors needed to make up that equation or that damage equation. So that it sounds complex, but that's actually the simple version. So I haven't mentioned some other finer details. There are particulars around dosing or how it's applied that make a big difference. And not all um, catalytic silicas or colloidal silicas are created equal. Actually, the best ones look like water because the particles are so fine. I love that concept. Immobilize the moisture, arrest the deterioration. Hey, that really is simple. So bringing this round full circle, if hydrogel treatment is applied at the construction stage, it will enhance the long-term durability of the structure by overcoming unwanted porosity or micro-cracking issues in the concrete. That's right. Yeah, that's the um, generic conclusion. Yeah. So, of course, we're talking about concrete that's been um, mixed, poured, and placed correctly, so in co according to industry um, best practice. Um, hydrogels won't fix um, below-standard work or, you know, severe rain damage, for instance, or another, another thing we see sometimes is, you know, below-strength concrete. Um, so there's a little disclaimer there. Quite often asked about a couple of those issues. Without going too far down that tangent, what do we do if we do have those issues? Okay, so if we take weather damage, um, for example, obviously each um, scenario needs to be, or project needs to be reviewed um, on its own merits, but it depends how severe the damage is. Um, so hydrogel treatments, um, or a good hydrogel treatment, penetrates 150 mils into the concrete. So that's very important when you're talking about durability um, under loads. And then if you think about if during construction, if the, the surface is damaged, um, you know, whether that's due to some preparation that's been done or some you know, bolts that have been drilled into the concrete, that type of thing. Um, but the hydrogel treatment remains in the concrete and you know, can't be removed or you know, reversed out of that, that concrete. But yeah, as I said, every, every um, situation is slightly different. So if you do want to talk to about your specific project, um, yeah, we'd definitely love to talk to you. 
That is absolutely true. If you want to find out more, please go to our website, www.markhamglobal.com. We do our best to respond to all inquiries within a business day. We are also happy to take suggestions for topics in the future. What are your concrete pain points in the field? How can we help to educate the industry? Thank you so much for listening and don't miss our next episodes.